<laughs> I'll be reading Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Finishing up with something, and you're getting ready to start the next thing. Like, um, maybe you're, like, working on, on the house, and, and you know that, like, after I get done with this tedious thing, then I get to do this, like, really, really fun thing, right? Well, that's kind of how I feel right now with ending this sermon. This sermon is great, and I'm super excited about what Paul wrote to Titus, but I have to tell you I'm super excited about what I want to talk about next week, uh, which we're going to start a series next week where it called, called Work Matters. Not works matter, work matters, okay? And it's this idea, just kind of give you a little snippet of what, when I speak, what we'll be speaking about. It's this idea of bringing Sunday worship into your Monday scenario. So whether that be at school, whether that be at home, whether that be at work, you know, whatever it is, bringing this scenario, not my cord here, uh, you know, bringing, bringing Sunday worship into your Monday and why that matters and how we can help and how we can kind of get you to that and, and encourage you in that. And I've kind of been, as I work through this one specific book that, that kind of models this idea, I've almost kind of been convicted by what I do. Because so often, you know, whether, whether it be the sermon or, you know, communion meditation, so many times we kind of just like, they're about God, and, and, you know, they're about our heart to God, but I, I know I struggle sometimes on connecting the rest of the week, and even maybe encouraging you all to connect the rest of the week as well, and so that's kind of, that's the heart of what we're going to be looking at, is that work matters, you know, going to work on Monday matters. Uh, while that might not be the most exciting thing you've ever heard, it does. Going to work on Monday matters. It might be tough waking up on that alarm, but it does matter. But here's the question that we're asking today to finish up this fifth trustworthy saying, is how do we respond to this culture when it seems to be increasingly rejecting Christ? How do we respond to this culture? Here's the normal way that, uh, that most people respond is out of uh, fear or kind of anxiety. And we get, we get worked up, we get worried, we get overwhelmed. And so what in your life brings you fear? You know, what are you most afraid of? You know, as I was kind of working through this sermon and thinking about fear, I, I kind of dawned on me, like, we just started October. And, you know, the end of the month is, is Halloween. And it's kind of this perfect time of, you know, going to spook houses and uh, all these kind of, like, haunted trails and like we seek after things that make us afraid, right? And so it's almost kind of this like perfect time to kind of think about what, is, what makes us afraid, what, what brings us to fear. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's that 2020 is coming and maybe that brings you a lot of fear and anxiety thinking that this year is almost over or like Christmas is like 12, 12 weeks or something away. Maybe that brings you anxiety. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what overwhelms you, but kind of keep that in mind. So yesterday, we, uh, well, actually, Friday, our family got to go to Branson. Casey was coming back from this uh, conference that she had gone to in Nashville, and it was e- easier for us to kind of meet them and then kind of do the pumpkin nights. I don't know if you guys do Silver Dollar City or not, but we did the pumpkin nights. And uh, Friday was just more of doing the things that involves pumpkin nights. Well, Saturday, we went and we actually, like, rode rides and all that kind of stuff like that. And I found this... I, 
interesting dynamic, you know, just thinking about this sermon, thinking about all of that, and then seeing my two children. They're very, very different, uh, Ellie and, and Jonah, and how they kind of see roller coasters. So I don't know, is anybody a roller coaster person? Like, loves them. Like, what, hates going to places that don't have them. Like, if we're going on a vacation, that better, there better be a roller coaster at some point. Something that makes me thrill-seek a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's Ellie. And is there, are there any of you out there that are just like, you would never catch me alive on a roller coaster? Like, the fact of even raising your hand about being on a roller coaster fear, is, like, fearful. I'll let you guys know a little secret about myself. I love roller coasters. I have an irrational fear of particular roller coasters. Specifically, if you guys have gone to Silver Dollar City, the giant barn swing. You guys know what I'm talking about, giant barn swing? I've rode the giant barn swing a couple times, and at no point has this fear ever left my brain, all right? It's completely irrational, all right? But when you go upside down on the giant barn swing, in my mind, I envision what would happen if I didn't have bones in this moment. I don't know why. I can't get it out of my head, but I envisioned me sliding out of this, this roller coaster and it not being good. Now, that not being said, I couldn't live if I didn't have bones, you know, like that's, but that's the irrationalness of fear, right? Uh, every time I like, I get to that point and I'm like, what if I just slid out of this? Like I'm a giant person. Like I'm not sliding out of anything, <laughs> but yet the fear is still there. So we get, we go to American Plunge Roller, you know, the, it's not even a roller coaster. It's just like the one drop goes into the water. And, uh, and we have to like convince Jonah, like to the point where like tears kind of like he's creating this like horrifying scenario. And he, we go and he goes on it all because we tell him that he can go on flooded mine. Like we'll take him, like which we would take him on flooded mine anyways. But you know, like we create this situation where if you do this, we'll do that type of thing. And so he's all for it. He does it. And then Ellie goes and rides powder keg without any issue, because she has her, uh, her aunt that can ride with her. So we have these two very different scenarios, Jonah like crying over American Plunge, and Ellie like just so willing to go. But then we go to the other side of the park, and there's these games where you can like throw darts at balloons, and we have the exact opposite happen. Like Jonah is so brave, walks right up, grabs these darts, throws all three of them at a balloon, you know, wins his prize, and walks away. Ellie goes up, and is just mortified by this idea of throwing a dart at a balloon. Well, we, you know, talk her into it because, you know, it's healthy to get over your fears, and she throws the dart, and she wins her prize, just like everybody else does. But it's this idea that what Jonah was deathly afraid of, Ellie had no fear of, and what Ellie was deathly afraid of, Jonah had no fear of. And that's the case for all of us. You know, we all have something that we're just so overwhelmed by and so fearful of that we can't even imagine... Like, when I told you guys that I have an irrational fear of sliding out of giant barn swing, you're like, that's ridiculous. But maybe for you, it's something else where I would be like, that's weird. Like, why would you be afraid of that? Just step on the spider. You know, it's not that crazy. Like, it's, fear is not rational. And that's the thing that we come to here is fear, when we think about the world rejecting Christ, fear is not a rational response to what is happening. Fear is not the way that we should respond. Or anxiety, you know, getting worked up and getting overwhelmed by it. But the thing is, is those aren't even the only two ways to respond. You know, luckily, those aren't the two ways to respond. 
more a common response for Bible-believing Christians as we watch the culture around us turn away from Christ, and then we get mad. We become overwhelmingly angry. We have this contentment towards the world, even hatred. None of us would tell like you ever to call it that. You know, none of us would ever call it hatred or contentment or, or anger, but it may just Sorry? It may just be that. How do we live for Christ and show love to a culture that is so far from Christ? Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by what people are doing. So Titus chapter 3, like I said, this is the, the last and final one that Paul sends, but it is different. We've been talking about Timothy up until this point. And so chapter 3 of Titus, if you want to turn your phones or flip in your Bibles to that part of the Bible, then uh, we're going to be reading, we're actually going to read the whole, um, the whole book, the whole, sorry, the whole chapter, not the whole book, the whole chapter. It's only 15 verses, so it's nothing too crazy. But just so you kind of understand the difference here, Timothy was in Ephesus, another church that Paul and Timothy, or Paul had planted, Timothy then took over. Titus is at a church in, in Crete, where him and actual, you know, him and Paul worked together to actually plant this church. So, starting in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For ourselves, we once were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of re- regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The things, or these things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoids foolish controversies, dis- dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychius to you, it's a good thing we don't call our kids Tychius anymore. Teachers would be super overwhelmed. Uh, To do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter here. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos their way, on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet these, those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. So again, I ask the question that I said at the beginning, how do we live like Christ in an ever 
ever-increasing Christless culture. What does that look like? Well, I think there's four key things that come from Titus chapter 3. The first one in verses 1 to 2, if you look at your, uh, your verses there, simply this, remember your calling. It uses the words, remind them. Remind these Christians of what they're called to do in the gospel. Because we've been shown perfect courtesy. We're to submit to authorities. We're supposed to submit and obey human rulers and authorities. There, there includes all human authorities. There's no caveat to this command, at least not in this specific passage. It doesn't say obey human authorities as long as you like what they are wanting you to do. It doesn't say obey government authorities if they align with you. It says submit to them. This carries with this this kind of connotation, not just brute or reluctant obedience, but a total obedience, even kind of like a a laying down of your own personal opinion of it all. Now, there are some obvious times, and that's what Scout read for us out of Acts chapter 4. There are some obvious times where it is important to kind of go against what the authorities of this world are calling us to do. You know, Acts chapter 4 shows us here when the Sadducees and the captain of the temple command Peter and John not to speak any more of Jesus. And they kind of just come out and, you know, Acts chapter 4 verse 9 says this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So we do see that God wants us to obey him over, you know, human authorities. But there's... You know, there's these situations where we're being called to obey the things of this world when they don't go against what God is calling us to do. And we, we don't have the authority to kind of push back against what the authorities in our lives are calling us to do. So here are some questions for us. Do we respect the authority that God has put over us? Not that we have to respect everything these authorities do, but do we respect them knowing God ultimately is the one who put authority over us? According to Romans 13, it specifically says that God put authorities into place. Do we respect the authorities that God has put over us? Not that we consider them perfect, obviously. They're all people too. But think about it. Whether it be local authorities, state authorities, tax authorities, your bosses, their bosses, you know, your wife, I don't know, federal authorities. Do you obey, do you obey and respect them? When able, we're to avoid quarreling for the sake of the gospel. There's so many fights and, and arguments that come over when you start bringing in all these, you know, I don't agree with this, and this is how they're wrong, they smell weird, I don't know, whatever the fights are. But we're to be uncontentious. That doesn't mean that we're weak, and that doesn't mean that we're pacifists. But what that means is that we are on fire for Christ and what Christ calls us to do. Our calling is to be with purpose is to be holy and to spread the good news. Jesus died for our sins, bearing the wrath that you and I fully deserved. And our calling is to go into the world and to let people know that and to show that through how we act. All right, number three, or sorry, verse three, number two, verse three, is remember your lostness. It says in verse three, for our For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. <coughs> Maybe in your life, that was where you were. You know, before accepting Christ, everything, you were against everything. People, people saw you as an angry person. People saw you as somebody that wasn't gentle, wasn't kind. But then as you accept Christ, you realize you left that away, you left that aside, and you realize what it looked like to sacrifice and to, to give of your time and your energy. There's no doubt that sometimes living amongst people that, we, that don't know Jesus is difficult. And it's not always easy to be gentle. And it's not always easy to love people because they're heading in a completely different direction in their life than we are. And it's hard. It's hard when you, you speak to people and you, when you try to connect to people and you try to get to know them and they have no desire to learn about what you care so deeply about. It'd be like you striving to, to tell other people how great of a deal you just found at Walmart. Let's say you went, well, let's say you went to the gas station and, and you found one particular gas station that had gas for like a buck sixty. And you go back home and you start telling, you post it all over Facebook. <clears throat> you tell all, these, all your friends and they're just like, why would I care? And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the cheapest we've ever seen gas in, like, the last, like, 20-something years. Like, you should care about this. Go fill up. Go get your, like, ga- gallons and gallons of water. Go get your buddy to go get their truck and line it with, uh, with some kind of liner so that way you can fill it up so we can have as much gas as we can. Like, this is crazy how cheap this gas is. And they're just like, you know what? Whatever. We don't care. And that's so often how we feel when we want to talk to people about Jesus. Like, we care so greatly about Jesus. And people are just like, well, you know what? That's just not for me. That's not for me right now. I tried that once. <clears throat> one time I got gas at a really good price, and it didn't do anything for me. You know, one time I went to church, and it was nothing. The music was okay. The preaching was, was really terrible. You know, it was whatever. I tried it. Jesus isn't for me. And you're like, no, that's not it. That's not even the, like, church and worship. That's just something that we do. Jesus, though, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is everything. It's tough. It's tough when we so badly want people to, to see exactly how much we care and how deeply we love Christ, and they just blatantly reject it. <clears throat> it makes us feel like what we believe in isn't as great as we thought. And makes us feel like maybe we need to start questioning what we're even following. And that becomes where you need to remember that we were once lost. That Paul calls Titus to remember. The, the third one is from verses 4 and 7. It says, remember your salvation. So remember that you were once lost. And remember that other people are lost. Remember that that others are far from Christ. <clears throat> don't hold people to the same standard that you are held to. Don't worry about what people did last night and how they're not at church today, but care deeply about them. Care about who they are as people. And then number three, like I said, is remember your salvation. We were so lost. We are so sinful. We are so hateful. We are vain. We are selfish. We were repulsive, God says. And if I were to tell you, some of the sins of my own past, you would feel the exact same way. And if you were to stand up and shout out the sins of your past, 
You would feel the same way, and we would feel the same way. But that's the beauty of what Christ did in salvation. Verse 4 says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So remember your salvation. Remember what God did for us. We get no credit. It's one of those one things in the world that, that you can't point to and say, look what I chose or what I did. I Not chose, that's not the right. Look what I did to accept it. We do choose. We talked about that last week. We do choose to accept Christ. And if anything, if you want, think that choosing Christ is an accomplishment, then my, I guess that would be the only thing that you could boast in is what Christ did for you, right? I mean, that's what scripture calls us to is that the only thing we can boast in is Christ and Christ's salvation. But that's not us. Yes, you chose it, but that's not you doing it. You didn't save yourself. We hate the world because we forget. We get frustrated and let our anger consume us because we forget. We forget that we are no different from the world without the grace of God. It's only because of Christ that we can understand truth. And it's only because of Christ that we even understand salvation. And it's only because of Christ that we even understand scripture. And if I'm honest, I, I think of many of us have just developed this self-righteous kind of attitude towards people around us, inside and outside of the church. We think, man, they just don't get it. They have politics, they have culture, they have the rights and the wrongs, they have all these things kind of going on, and they're, they're over there saying kind of, we just say good luck to them. Hope you guys figure it out. And they just don't get it. We must get off this self-righteous horse that we all kind of ride around on and remember that we're all floundering about like scared little children in pitch black world around us. And we're searching for a door or a wall or something just to just remember where we're even at. And we're all blind. We're all unable to save ourselves. We're called to go into the world and to call people to what does save us. And that's Christ. Not to take the credit, not to put the focus on us, but to put the focus only on Christ. The only reason that anyone turns to Christ is because of what the Holy Spirit, because of what the Father does, and because of what Christ does. Second Corinthians chapter three, sixteen and eighteen says two eighteen says this. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the, into the same image from the degree of glory to another. And then the last part, once again, in case you forgot, who actually made this happen. This comes from the Lord. Remember your lostness. Remember your salvation. And remember the God who made it all able to be accomplished. The only way that we'll ever be able to have the Great Commission in mind with our world is when we realize that the only reason that we're not of the world is because of the very gospel that we have to share with them. The only reason that we aren't being condemned is because of Christ. It has nothing to do with us. And then the last and final one, verses 8 through 15, is remember your mission. So let's read again verses 8 through 11 here in uh, Titus chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. 
And I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful and devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, um, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, having nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Because we remember our lostness and we remember our salvation, which was 100% God, we also then remember our mission and we are compelled to complete it. Because of the gospel, we are to devote, devote ourselves to good works. Not that we find salvation in the good works, but that through the good works, others see Christ. So in your life, when you, when you are struggling to, to make a connection to somebody, or you're struggling to, to put the foot forward to go into the world and do something, remember that that's the way that people see God. I mean, you're not getting any more saved because of your good works, but others may see Christ through what you're doing. Christians and non-Christians have been shown incredible grace, and Paul tells Titus to insist on this. We must show grace in light of, of the grace that's been shown to us. You know, we say it the same way. We forgive greatly because of how great we were forgiven. We show grace because of how much grace was shown to us. Here's what Matthew 28, the Great Commission, calls us to do. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go for, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Our mission is to take remembering the salvation and to take remember being lost and we're to take that into the world to show others how they too can be saved. How through forgiveness and through grace and through mercy they receive salvation. Have you become hostile to people that, that don't believe in Christ as well? or at least those that aren't sympathetic to what you believe? I get it. I understand the frustration completely. All this talk about tolerance and yet very apparent intolerance towards biblical Christianity in our culture. I see that. But responding without grace, all that does is hurt our greatest mission, which is to spread the gospel to all people. Are you so focused on what is going on in, in the government side of stuff that you forget that there are people that are involved in all parts of it? We must remember our lostness, our salvation in Christ alone, our mission. We get distracted because we forget. We forget that salvation for our neighbors, for our country, for our world, for us, is found in Christ and Christ alone. So let's remember Christ, and let's remember his mission, and let's remember our salvation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all that you gave and all that you continue to give through the cross. And I pray as we continue worshiping and, and focusing on you and, and giving over to you that, that we remember our salvation. We remember our lostness. We remember how, distance, how distant we were from you. And that we remember those around us that maybe haven't found you either. And that we 
run to them. And that we don't give up after being told once that, that they don't want to be a part of it. Or we don't give up after being rejected one time and in, in talking about the gospel. But instead, we continue strong in your faith. And we continue strong moving forward in you. Father, we pray as we move into worship that we remember everything that you did. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand? I really appreciate the men who get up here and can tell stories and uh, uh, if you I'm sure you have family members in your family that tell stories and are good at it and they're usually a lot of times they're funny and uh, uh, just in preparation I'd kind of well my family is that way too and Carol's family I used to even before we were married I used to like to sit around and tell uh, listen to their stories of their family even though I didn't even know the people but uh I met them later, and anyway, uh, one of the stories that, since I love trucks, I'll recount one of the things that they used to talk about, that she, uh, her dad has two sisters, and they married two guys, and they had trucks, and they used to haul logs out in California, and uh, so uh, one of them was a Harley, and he was always referred to as Uncle Harley, and Uncle Harley took his truck, and he had it painted a a nice paint job, a nice nice color scheme. It was be- a beautiful job. And uh, Uncle Harold had a truck too, and uh, he painted his the exact same color scheme, except he painted it with a brush. <laughs> and then people used to tease Harley and say, that, I saw you the other day when they really saw Harold, <laughs> and uh, kid him about that and make, you know, kid him that his truck... Uh, the trucks look the same even though one of them was painted with a brush <laughs> and uh, but myself I'm not a very good storyteller so by way of contrast I'm going to tell you a story sh- give, uh, share with you a story that's in the Bible and it's part of the greatest story ever told ever told it goes like this I better get these out On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And then skipping down a little ways, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this. Take this, take it, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That is a short story, short version, short uh, uh, part of the greatest story ever told. And uh, uh, it's amazing that we still, 2,000 years later, have passed this particular story on down from generation to generation and all over the world. And uh, we still tell it today, even at this point. Like I say, part of the greatest story ever told. And uh, we, do, we do these things today in memory of that which happened so long ago. And look forward to His coming again. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are certainly thankful that you have shared your son and our savior with us that we may be reconciled to you and that uh, we can look forward to seeing our uh, friends our relatives our storytelling folks in heaven and uh, uh, and be with our savior forever and ever and uh, with and be reconciled to god and just uh, we know that all good things come from you and we just look to you for everything in life. In Jesus' name we pray.